Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You are now tuned to Future Sense here with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald. Yes. Till um, 11 o'clock this morning. Here we are. Here we are. I was, as I was driving in this morning, I was really expecting to see some April Fool's joke played on our large new metal uh, lighthouse structure, but unfortunately, no. There are green was, things growing on. That's not a joke. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, that's a good idea, actually. But I, I heard the council was trimming them back, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to sort of suffocate the birds, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah, well, on today's show, what are we looking at today? There's there's many things, as uh, as we've been talking about a little bit off air. You know, we're in the middle of, and we'll come back a little bit to this too. In in the middle of, one could argue astrologically, if you're into that sort of thing, um, there's a big big transit of Neptune and Mercury in Pisces, and it's a bit of diffuse, confusing time at the moment, and a period of of some deception, you could argue. Yeah, absolutely, and, and there's a big theme running through the the paradigm shift. Uh, with the the collapse of our modern scientific industrial way of living and the the drivers of that particular paradigm getting more and more desperate to hang on to control uh, and uh, it has a tendency to uh, cast a false image and manipulate things to get what it wants and that very much fits with the theme of, uh, of this day in fact indeed Absolutely, yeah, the hoax. In fact, just just as a bit of an aside, for those who don't know, you know, the the, uh, the idea of April Fools, by the way, goes back quite a way. They don't, they're not really sure why, but I like this one from the London Public Advertiser of March the thirteenth, seventeen sixty nine. That's a long time ago, yeah, even for us. The mistake of Noah, it says, sending the dove out of the ark before the water had abated. Hmm, perhaps this is a bit of a metaphor on the first day of April. And to perpetuate the memory of this deliverance, it was thought proper, whoever forgot so remarkable a circumstance, to punish them by sending them upon some sleeveless errand similar to that ineffectual message upon which the bird was sent by the patriarch. Meaning basically that um, this is how April Fool's comes about. So in Ireland, for example, it's traditional to entrust the victim, the April Fool, with an important letter to be given to a named person. And that person would then ask the victim to take it to someone else and so on and so on. The letter, when finally opened, contained the words, send the fool further. So it's a bit like the political process itself. (laughs) Just pass the buck, just send it on to somebody else. And eventually it'll disappear. We won't have to worry about that particular problem on the planet or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, in um, in Poland, just another one here, uh, it's called the Prima Aprilis, of course, the first day. And I like this. Serious activities are usually avoided, if not banned. And generally, every word said on April the 1st in Poland can be a lie or a joke. So we're in good company today with the politicians of our world. We are indeed. indeed. Um, it's it's almost like every day is April Fool's Day now, isn't it? <laughs> you never know what to believe. It's hard to know what a hoax is and what is the truth, that's for sure. And uh, and to some degree, of course, we're all a little bit at each other with that because it is frustrating. It, there isn't a lot of irritation, you could say, in uh, and how we are trying to live 
in life conditions which are arguably for most people continually made more and more difficult one way or the other. Yeah, we've got this interesting process going on where one paradigm's collapsing as the other one is rising. And of course, there's a time, which is pretty much an hour, where mm. neither of them is really competently in control. Yeah. And so uh, we're navigating the no man's land. It's like we've entered the fog of change. The fog of change. The fog of change. And, uh, you know, how, how do we navigate in mm. the fog? I mean, if you think about that, when you driving or, or you're walking through fog, really what you have to do is you have to sort of contract your attention and take notice of what's going on sort of close by because you can't see. Yeah, you can't use a high beam really. You have no. to use a, the, no, the normal beam. And even then you have to still focus very, as you said, very much in front of the yeah, car, just yeah. a little way ahead. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So Good and, metaphor. And, and that that's the sort of thing that's happening all around the world because no one really knows uh, what's coming down the track. They see reliable things falling apart and you know, the degradation of our, our political system, our economic system, and many, many other systems. Mm. And so uh, all of our anchor points are shifting, and, mm. and at a deeper level, our values are changing. And so those things that were once quite reliable, that, you know, if we stick to our values, then everything would be fine, um, the anchor points are, have, have come loose, yeah. and we're drifting. And uh, the, what that leads to is this regressive search, where we, we think back to a time when things were fine before we entered the fog, and, you know, if we just keep doing what we used to do then, it'll work. But of course in the change life conditions it doesn't work at all but but it does what it does do is it accelerates the process of change yeah. um, and that's a hard thing to get a hold of folks and we here on this show we'd like to encourage you i guess uh, in my words here to sit back and and uh, and consider before assuming or making big decisions about anything really have a good look at what really is true for you in this moment in the in the in the miasm if you will if the in the flurry of uh, of media and noise that we are all subject to to one degree or another here and a lot of people like to avoid it which is one strategy Pretty well, if you're a fairly intelligent person, you probably also like to be engaged, but it's very easy to be confused and carried away with uh, false um, false flags, so to speak. It is, and, and while we can't see forward necessarily into the fog to see what's coming or see what we need to do to prepare for the future, what we can do is look at some things that are knowable, and those include an understanding of the change process and an understanding that its cyclic nature and the fact that this this contraction and regression is part of a, a spiraling cycle. And so it is heading somewhere, even though it feels like it, you know we're, yeah. we're sort of uh, going backwards. In a sense, we actually are going backwards, but that regression and the search and the consideration of you know what are our, our values how do our values need to change is part of a trajectory a roller coaster trajectory that's taking us down through this chaotic time and we'll rise back out of that as mm. you know because that is the trajectory of change we can know that um, mm. and uh, I think it's more important than ever to really understand this change trajectory and what we can expect to experience as we move along yeah i'm thinking as we're as you're driving through the fog folks one thing you can certainly do is tune into bay fm right now right here oh you are hello <laughs> i love that you're resonating right now on future sense with steve mcdonald and nick jeans yeah, you're tuned to Future Sense here. It's uh, 9.16 and uh, the sessions, the Polka Dot production sessions by Sister Mary, Saturday mornings, a great uh, mystery train show, is uh, fantastic. The first one went off wonderfully and the second one in a magnificent house up there in Left Bank Road is uh, going to be awesome. So check it out and turn up, please. Right. Well, we've got a lot to, to talk about today and, um, and I guess that's part of the problem is there is a lot of talk. 
And uh, for those of us who are engaged with world issues, local issues, national issues, issues both socio, social, cultural, political, there is a lot of talk, there's a lot of noise. It's very difficult to determine what is actually real and uh, where action actually gets done. So we're going to be looking at some of the things that actually we can do to navigate the confusing uh, and uh, and certainly paradoxical uh, state of the world at the moment and the, and the changes that we are we are facing. Indeed, indeed, and um, the the economic force well, sorry the economic forecaster Martin Armstrong uh, his computer algorithm has produced some interesting graphs about the collapse of confidence uh, in mm. government in particular, and um, he's uh, he's got quite a complex program running in his predictive computer and it, it, it maps a number of different cycles and the cycles overlap so it's not just like a consistent predictable curve that's changing but it's the interaction of multiple cycles which are giving unusual peaks and troughs and changes uh, you know in, in the cyclic nature of things yeah and uh, one of the ways he, he's presenting that is um, in what he calls his economic confidence model and I've got a, a graph here in front of me which uh, shows a plot from 1970 through to 2084 of this pattern that he's identified. And um, as I always do, I, I take things like this and I look for other indicators from completely different, radically different sources mm. that support the patterns they show. And one of the things that uh, Armstrong himself has found is that his economic confidence model cycle coincides with solar cycles. And he's he's written a bit about that, and, and it, it does make sense because the climate has a big impact on human activity. Mm. And if you look back in history, you can see that during warm periods, there were times when people uh, prospered, they traveled, economic economies boomed, mm -hmm. and then during cold weather, you know, everybody goes indoors, locks down, mm. there's much less activity. And, and so the economic cycles do naturally conform. So of course, if you live on the equator and you always have like Jamaica or somewhere, you're not like to go off and try and conquer the world anyway. The weather's too damn good. That's right, yeah. So you, you need a bit of chill to, to get motivated, to start tree. thinking. Yeah. I often think about that like with Melbourne. Melbourne's such a, you know, a city of four seasons in one day, but that sort of cold, that, that inward uh, part of cities like Melbourne, most European cities like that, really do create a, a, a ground for ideas to flourish on the other hand too they do yeah. yeah when i lived in melbourne i used to enjoy the the winter time there because you'd get all these little uh, nooks and crannies in the yeah. laneways in the city where they'd have open fires going and you'd yeah. find some really interesting little cozy spots indeed to hunker down mm. and have a good chat um yeah so uh, just back to armstrong's economic confidence model uh, it's showing that uh, it the conf public confidence peaked in 1981 uh, which was the end of a, a public uh, period. And what that means is that it was a, a period where um, community-oriented value sets were more dominating. Mm, mm, yes. Uh, and if you think back to that time, it was around the time when governments started to privatise public services and those sorts of things. <clears throat> yeah. Or, or at least it, you know, it gained a considerable amount of momentum. And the through to 2032, we're now in a private sector dominated uh, period. And this is most evident, I think, at the moment when, when we look at the corporate capture of government and the way that private organisations have really grabbed hold of government and, mm. and used money to uh, you know, control government processes and those sorts of things and government uh, motivations. 
Um, and there was a there was a peak within the, that period that I just described, 1981 to 2032. Of course, the the progression through there is a series of peaks and troughs, just like any natural rhythm, uh, and it shows up on his graph as like a sawtooth pattern. Uh, and um, there was a considerable downturn in public confidence uh, at towards the end of 2015. And in, if we, historically, if we look at that time, it was around the time when um, in America, for example, there was a lot of uh, a loss of confidence in government mm. generally, which of course led to the election of Trump mm. as an outsider. You know, mm. people turned away from the traditional uh, parties. It really was from. when you think think of that 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 time around before that uh, last election that saw the saw Trump become president. It really was the beginning of the whole fake news idea. I don't remember the, the the term fake news being used before that period. I may be slightly wrong, but it would seem suddenly that 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 whole uh, that oeuvre of, of bringing out uh, hoax-like, false, deceptive, obfuscatory information from all directions actually has uh, has uh, increased that uh, that private uh, you know uh, distrust, mistrust in governments and regulatory bodies around the world, generally yeah, speaking. Yeah, I think the in terms of the old paradigm, the modern scientific industrial way, it's always had this public image thing happening. And so, um, you know, for a long, long time, uh, corporations have had public image consultants and they've <laughs> worked on their public image and their public mm. image has been, uh, you know, something they project to the outside world while there's quite possibly something completely different going on inside the organisation. Uh, but the advent of social media and you know the internet generally has collapsed that image because people both inside and outside the the organisation uh, you know can communicate very easily they can they can uh, reach the world through social media and so it's very very hard to keep secrets and uh, the control of information was a fundamental. Uh, strategy for um, the operation of the old paradigm. You know, the, the control of what information you held close and what information you released is really what empowered you. And having more information than the other guy, of course, gave you the competitive advantage. Mm. And, and uh, the, drive, the central driver being success, you know, that was of primary importance. And again, you know, the, the social media thing, the, the uh, capacity to communicate from, from anywhere to the whole world has just collapsed that whole power base. And this is a big part of the reason why the old paradigm is crumbling now. Um, and it, generally, it's cre- created much more complexity. There's, there's a lot more considerations, a lot more perspectives on things. And uh, it's, it's much harder to treat the world as a poker game, um, you know, as has been the, the, uh, the way of the old paradigm. So you, when you can't hide your playing cards from everybody else, then you really, it's very, very difficult to win the poker game. In fact, the game collapses and that's what's, what's happening right now. So um, hence the huge crackdown on whistleblowers mm. and uh, organisations like WikiLeaks and poor old Julian. Poor old Julian. And I just should say, as an aside to uh, John Pilger, of course, will be here at uh, the Cavanbar Centre for the Nagara Institute next week, April the 10th. And Pilger, of course, is, a, is actually a close friend and certainly a supporter of Julian Assange. And if you're going to that, I'm sure you'll be able to get the, the latest updated information on Assange's situation, which continues to be some kind of limbo that uh, nobody really understands what's actually going on there. Perhaps Pilger will enlighten us a bit on that. Yeah, I think you know, one of the most shocking things for me has just been the silence of the Australian government, how it's just like, you know, they won't look at it. Mm. It's just they're pretending that it's not there. I mean, that's an interesting strategy, isn't it, for this the, for this layer of consciousness, uh, five that we, that we, that we call it, um, orange, uh, that silence is often the best, rather than, uh, than propaganda, or uh, or distorting the truth, or just double speak, just 
don't talk about stuff. And yeah. Things just go away. They yeah. think. You know, we see that all the time from yeah. old paradigm politicians mm. when they just don't answer the question. You know, a journalist will say, oh, what about this? And they'll say, our policy is blah, 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 uh, which just doesn't answer the question, but they fill the space with words anyway. And it's amazing how much of that goes on now. And of course, those of us who are older and who have followed politics uh, for a long time, like uh, Steve and I, for example, and many of you out there, no doubt, just to listen now to the language of the politicians, particularly, in my opinion, on the right of politics, uh, the, this kind of obfuscation, this absolute inability to answer questions directly anymore, because the answers are too damn uncomfortable, I guess, if they, if they, if they told the truth. That's right. The truth is coming out, yeah. and, and they don't want the truth to come out. And it's, it's mm. breaking that barrier you know, that, that they've always had around them, the public image barrier is busted and yeah. uh, everything's coming out. So how do we navigate you know, in such a confusing time? And uh, I, I think one of the key things is to always remember that uh, words are cheap at the moment, and particularly as this, the old paradigm and you know, people who are being driven by these old values are trying desperately hang on to, to what they had, mm. um, then there's gonna be this huge disparity between what's being said and actually what's being done. Mm. And so it's, it's going to be much more revealing for people to look at their actions rather than listen to their words. Mm. And, and in fact, we can, we can anticipate that their words are probably going to be dece- deceiving. Mm. Um, so keep that in mind and look at what is actually being done. Well, especially as we come up to an election this week, as you all know, tomorrow night is a budget night in Australia. Josh Frydenberg, our treasurer, will hand down the budget just pre the election so you can be sure that as much as the coalition can, they'll throw in all sorts of pork pies into the pot in order to get your vote uh, online and to be very suspicious about much of that and not to be uh, unequally suspicious of, of Labor and whatever their their particular offerings are because, of course, they're also vying for the, for uh, for government. So it's, it's tricky to know uh, what is the truth. And I like a piece that you wrote to me uh, earlier today about these issues to do to do with coping strategies and you're talking about the results but also to be curious because this is a big thing now like so many people I think give have given over their curiosity and have just aligned themselves to a particular point of view that feels comfortable to, for them and that is probably the place that they've always thought about something anyway yeah. and just to sit in that because that's safer and more secure supposedly yeah. but it really is curiosity that opens up uh, a different level of truth here it does. And if you think of the metaphor of, of walking through the fog of change, yeah. being certain about what's ahead is dangerous, basically. Yeah. Uh, and yet it's comforting for people to, to you know, join in a, with their peer group in, in thinking that they know exactly what's coming down the track or mm-hmm. exactly how things should be. Because the simple matter is that we can't see into that fog of change. And that's just the way it is when we get into this sort of chaotic period. Uh, and I think there are lots of really good current affairs examples at the moment of how information is being twisted and uh, fake news or, or false information, uh, information wars, um, are being used to, to try and maintain this grasp on power that the, the old paradigm has had and that's slipping away. And, you know, just some, some really obvious examples from the, the news over the last week or so. I mean, the, the whole uh, Trump was in um, cahoots with Russia a Mueller investigation thing, which has come out, you know, with a with a, a blank sheet, basically. Yeah, I mean, no, I must admit, even though I was never uh, particularly aligned to that one way or the other, I, I did think in in the sort of way that I suppose a leftish progressive thinker might think that, of course, there was interference, and we're going to find out, and and then we can impeach Trump and so forth and so forth. And yeah. I know a lot of people 
who have been very disappointed by that finding. But actually, in, in effect, it's not that surprising, is it? It's not that surprising. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I never put any faith in that particular story simply mm. because uh, watching the current affairs, you know, around the time that Trump was elected and what happened next, um, immediately the, the opposition in the US set about trying to pull him down. Um, you know, obviously because they were, they were just very disappointed they didn't win the election, uh, and uh, you know, WikiLeaks was leaking was was leaking the the emails, the Democrat emails, uh, and the initial news or story that came out about that what that it, it was from an insider from a whistleblower, uh, and uh, there was an email, one email that came out through WikiLeaks talking uh, or from uh, Podesta who was calling for a, a harsh crackdown on whistleblowers. And not long after that, of course, um, the Democrat staffer Seth Rich was murdered, uh, and uh, and it's it seems quite possible that he somehow was involved in that whistleblowing process, and that was retribution. But you know that's something that, that yeah. needs to to come out. Uh, whether it's true or false, we don't know at this stage. But certainly, it seems that the the whole um, Trump's in bed with the Russians thing, you know, is a hollow story that was constructed to try and buy time and also you know pull him down reduce public confidence mm. in him and uh, and yet it's shown up with a with a pretty much uh, empty bucket uh, another thing in current affairs at the moment is um <clears throat> the u.s government's just announced that the freedom of information uh, legislation in the u.s won't apply to google's work with drones yes that's <laughs> a strong story isn't it, it uh, is very, very <laughs> i mean what do we <laughs> I mean, this continual uh, level of, and today we're sort of talking about secrets and success, as I think I said at the beginning, and the, the number of secrets that are kept in order to create this sort of success, uh, and yet uh, it's pretty obvious that we're we're able to see through this a lot of us now, and and yet there's a, a disjunct between them still perpetrating these sort of lies and distortions and yeah. secrets and so forth and hiding things and yet everybody seems to know that it's you know that it's actually it's getting more and it. more obvious isn't it yeah. and that's because as the complexity grows what's happening is the the value sets of the old paradigm are under pressure and so they're mm. regressing everybody's regressing to a certain extent and they're falling back into the old authoritarian black and white kind of way of seeing things mm. And in doing so, they're losing their sophisticated strategic approach. You know, is slipping out of their hands, and they're they're going back into a more black and white thing. So rather than concocting some fancy false story to snow everybody, they're just saying, "Well, no, you can't look at that." <laughs> reduct, reduct. Yeah. I mean, what is Google doing with those drones? Obviously, it's military applications. I mean, what do we what, what do we know about that? Because that's for a lot of people, this is very troubling. The whole drone uh, movement, the rise of the drone, so to speak, and as most people know. Now, Obama actually sent uh, those drones to kill all sorts of people, including a lot of what's called, as we know, collateral damage, that is killing innocent people um, in his tenure there. And, of course, Hillary Clinton, uh, on the same side of politics, uh, is known to have uh, uh, created more arms deals with particularly Saudi Arabia, which funds Qatar and other countries, um, than any other former um, Secretary of State in the history of America. So we're, you know, we're seeing on the Democrat side a, a warlike approach in the in the last tenure that they had there, and uh, sort of obfuscating that somehow by um, by by placing the blame on uh, on Trump and Russia in some sense or other, or Trump and China. Yeah, um, things like wars are always good uh, to take people's minds off domestic politics. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, 
it's it's like oh there was a big explosion let's look over there and of course uh, you know the the idea of being threatened by outsiders is one mechanism that's used to try and bring, bring mm. people together at a nation level and mm. so it's no surprise that there was a you know during that time when things were kind of very very obviously slipping away in terms of the control of the dominant paradigm uh, you know there was a big flare-up of conflict mm. uh, and uh, and you know a big uh, a big noise over there all oh, look over there everybody <laughs> well they made a bit of a noise at the moment uh, with uh, joe biden uh, who is uh, tagged to be the most sort of in sense the most substantial respected a potential democratic candidate for president in 2020 next year has now been accused by a woman of sort of being touched and kissed on the head from behind you've got to wonder about this story and of course if there was something untoward and not right about that particular action if it did happen okay but basically the woman who said that this happened is saying well he he's, he doesn't deserve to be president and i heard that on radio this morning i thought well god damn trump's the president he's got away with hundreds of these, uh, yeah, I these know, situations i know in fact there's a, there's a long history of presidents getting away with stuff ah, like yes. that i think actually well that's true um, so so yeah and uh it, it's you know it's a time where we need to dig deeper and mm. uh it, it's if we think too hard about this surface level deception the information war that's going on then we'll just get lost in it so you know like walking through the fog we need to kind of look closer to home and really take mm. notice of, of what's happening rather than what's being said, yeah. you know, these deceptive nets that are being cast. Yes, yeah, so well, you've also said in some of the texts that you sent me for today's show about coping strategies, also the, the term avoiding viral fear. This is a huge thing, isn't it? I mean, this, yeah. is, this is what's going on now. And to one degree or other, I think we're all subject to that, that virus that fear has created in us in various ways, and it's pretty obvious. Uh, but the, the the most negative side of this, of course, is that people actually take action that is um, can be dangerous, deadly, in fact, to avoid this kind of fear in their own lives. And we see examples of that in you know some of the, the horrific things like Auckland, for example. Obviously, this particular person had some sort of intense uh, opinion and attitude about life and that, uh, that created this uh, psychopathic moment where he took all these lives. Um, but it's a symptom as much as anything else. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know, when we're not lost in our fear, fear can be a great indicator. So, uh, you know, when we're, we're subject to these stories that are being put out there, you know, a, a good question we can ask, ask ourselves is, where's this coming from? Is this coming from a place of fear? Is mm. it trying to instill fear? Mm. And uh, if that's the case, then it's a, an indicator of an old value set and also an indicator of uh, you know an attempt to manipulate us somehow so you know i think it's a it's a good thing just to keep that in mind and look for evidence of people who aren't acting from fear but are actually um, you know speaking and acting uh, in alignment and and that lack a lack of alignment between actions and words is another great indicator Mm. of uh, something not being quite right Mm. and we should all be able to feel this now i mean i was just speaking there i'm thinking like at the place that we as humans are evolving to, and this is a big generalization because we're not in the same place, all of us, of course, um, but there is this capacity, I think, emerging for us to really read this well, to actually feel and see, to feel this intuitively, to know when the words that are spoken are not being followed by actions. I mean, we can see that the action's not happening, but yeah. in the moment of the speaking of uh, by the powers that be, by the, the politician who's standing up in front, of, in front of the press, you can feel the, 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 the lack of integrity there. You can, and this is, this is one of the reasons why the new paradigm is rising up. 
is that in this evolutionary step forward from the modern scientific scientific industrial oriented human to mm. the to the network centric uh, more values aware humanistic approach of the new mm. paradigm we are gaining uh, an expanded sensory perception and part of that is exactly as mm. you just said is this capacity to read it other people and particularly their emotions mm. uh, more accurately than we could before and and so this basically gives you someone who whose life conditions have supported their their expansion into this uh, new way of being human it does give them an advantage over the old paradigm mm. because uh, and, and our prime minister scott morrison is a classic example of this you know he's rolling out all of these really transparent shoddy attempts to manipulate <laughs> and he doesn't realize they're so obvious you know because yeah. he's, he's still of this old mind that's right uh, which isn't aware of, of this you know extra mm. capacity uh, and he's thinking it's going to work and, it, and it's laughable it's hilarious which is very perfect for april the first for, for april fool's day because it is actually the fool and the fool doesn't actually know he's the fool on one hand on the other hand of course the fool in, in the tarot card for example the jester is often the most enlightened person in the deck and the, the one who whispers in the year of the king, but I don't think we're talking about Scomo right here. No, no, uh, I don't think so. No. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, uh, as uh, you would imagine. He well, although you know, I, yeah, I mean, there's a <laughs> there is some parallel to Trump here in that. Your Trump has also got that naive kind of fool uh, character about him, and uh, at the, this time, the the natural evolutionary flow is for the old paradigm to be collapsing, and so through acting as the fool, they are actually playing a constructive role in in uh, moving the old paradigm out of the way, you know, mm. in helping its collapse. Yeah, indeed. Ah, oh, dear, oh, dear, the things we do, the things we do. You might remember this, folks. Have a listen to this. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theatre and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacence, people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs. Yes, as most of you would know, that's the, the original broadcast of the War of the Worlds, broadcast on October the 30th, Halloween, not April Fool's in 1938, over the Columbia Broadcasting System radio network, and an episode that was, uh, was called Orson Welles speaking there from... Uh, from uh, the H.G. Wells novel, The War of the Worlds from 1898, and the episode became famous for causing panic among its listening audience, though the scale of that panic is disputed as the program had relatively few listeners. But nevertheless, you know, I mean, back then, I, I love this because I was thinking about April Fools and thinking about the, the hoaxes that have been perpetrated upon people because on April Fools Day, a lot of, uh, a lot of newspapers around the world other than radio stations and the like do create uh, sometimes quite elaborate hoaxes for April the 1st. But even though this was not a, an April 1st hoax, and it wasn't really a hoax, it was amazing how people back then, in the early days even of radio, uh, a certain number of people believed that, uh, that Mars was actually invading Earth. And it was pretty easy to convince people uh, of that, it would seem. Yeah, interesting. I, you know, that must have been a, a real key turning point in understanding the power of the media, I think, to manipulate public behaviour. I think so. 
Yeah, it's uh, often cited as an example of just that. So yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and right prior to World War Two, of course, where you know propaganda became a, a huge thing. Yeah. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Yeah, that's going to be great, the Blue Sets. And as you know from that, uh, we have um, those tickets available and subscribe now. You've just got a few more days or another week and a bit until the prizes are drawn on On the Beach with Vanessa on the 9th of April. Two VIP five-day passes and 14 double one-day passes for new and renewing subscribers. So go to bayfm.org or phone double six eight zero seven triple nine and do that as soon as you can. Fantastic. Uh, that last track I played before was called Written in the Wind by one of our favourite bands, Yama. And Yama, as is pointed out to our dear friend, and uh, last week, was it the week before, whenever he was on the show, Ross, uh, Professor Ross Hill, uh, contacting us from uh, from down there in the south, was uh, talking about Yama coming to Australia, and they are, and they are in uh, Collingwood, uh, in Johnson Street, well-known area, and in uh, in uh, Victoria there, and it's on the 12th of April from 6:30 to 1:30 a.m. 1:30 a.m. That's good dance, um, and that's at the Second Story Studios warehouse down there in Collingwood, and it's called Synergy Hearts Alight featuring Yama, and I do think they're doing a thing up here too, but I just can't find it right now. I'm pretty sure they're doing an event up here. In Byron. Uh, yes. Oh, sorry, I haven't got you on. Yeah, in Byron, right. Well, not in oh. Byron itself. I think in the hills somewhere there's sort of... Uh, oh, okay. It's some sort of event. Yeah. We'll see if we can find I'm that out sure for you, folks, yeah. if you do like that sort of music. But thanks, Ross, for uh, for dropping that too. It's very, very cool. Um, yeah, we're talking about change as usual here today. Under yeah. the influence of this murky uh, astrological... The murky Mercury, Neptune, Piscean uh, transit that's going... For some of you, of course, you don't have anything to do with astrology, and that's quite respected, but we do. We like deeper astrology. It's kind of important. Thanks for your call, too. Calls, a couple of calls came in. One pointing to the fact that we sort of claimed that Trump uh, was exonerated by the, the Robert Mueller investigation. Uh-huh. In, uh, but, but we didn't. But we didn't really we, say We simply that. said he didn't produce any evidence. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. The absence of evidence uh, yeah. and so on. And it, it's interesting uh, at, with the regression of values that's going on at the moment, you know, the, the tendency for many people is to slip back into these absolutistic values, which are like the agricultural era things, you know, from, from the Middle Ages and the time when society was, was uh, in rigid classes. And everything was black and white, you know, and you had a, a set of rules to follow, which were God's rules or some authority's rules, and you didn't have to worry about figuring out the rules because you just looked at the, the list of rules and you followed them, and it was all quite simple. Uh, and it was like yes or no, right or wrong. And at the moment, even though people are regressing back to those values to try and cope with the increasing complexity right now because their, their modern scientific values are falling apart, um, it's, uh, it's a time where we actually, actually need to take more notice of the details and we need to uh, discern you know all of the different shades and colors between black and white and uh, try and resist the this temptation just to classify everything as right or wrong because it's not going to serve us in the longer term mm. and the long-term outlook uh, and, and first and foremost let me say that we don't really know what the future we don't know we, we certainly have no claim whatsoever to know anything more than you do folks we'd like that's why we, we, we're privileged in a way to be able to talk to you like this and hopefully it's useful but it's really your your own individual and uh, sovereign approach to these things, which is really important here. That's right. So don't believe a thing we say. 
But what we do do is, is we look at varied sources and we look for small signs that are all pointing in a similar direction mm. as uh, you know some guidance to what might be happening. And th- th- our best guess, looking at all the small signs that we can see at the moment, is that around 2032 is, is going to be a time of very significant change. Uh, it's a, a, a coincidence of economic cycles, uh, a shift between private dominance of uh, the economic world and public back to public dominance again. Uh, it's it's a, a turning point for the solar cycle. Mm. Uh, it, it may be a, a very significant time for the impact of climate change, most likely. Mm. Uh, and many, many things are going to be shifting around that, including human uh, consciousness itself. And so uh, if that's true, if, if we're right in saying all these signs are pointing to, to that as being a very significant turning point, uh, what that means is that between now and then we can expect a number of more minor shifts because these these things it's you know it's not a black and white process there are always multiple small changes that add up to mm. uh, bringing some big change which becomes very very obvious and sometimes the smaller ones aren't even all that obvious um, and uh, in terms of of this process of trying to to look for the small signs. This seems to be where science is heading at the moment. And in our last show, we spoke about the uh, the recent cannabis symposium here and the science around cannabis that was being presented. And this idea of the what they call the entourage effect, which is uh, a finding around the science of cannabis in particular, but this is a, it seems to be a general theme throughout the whole paradigm shift that's underway at the moment, is mm. that looking at any one single thing doesn't necessarily bring you the answers that you need. And the action of one single cannabinoid uh, molecule within the, the entourage of hundreds of different molecules you know, which are in the cannabis plant, you, if you take one of those out, it's not gonna do what the whole, the collective will mm. do altogether. And so um, this idea of fragmentation, but also uh, you know, the, the recognition of the connection between the fragments mm, mm. And, and the collective actions happening in ways which are quite different to what we've been used to in the, used to in the modern scientific uh, era where you know, the leadership has been clear, somebody sets the strategy, everybody else follows. But now we're moving to a much more collective way of mm. doing things, which is collapsing hierarchies. Mm. A yeah. level playing field where people actually sit in circle or sit in uh, in a conference and seek consensus as hard as that is to get in order to make decisions. Yeah, but in a sort of loose, a looser way. That's a, a much looser way without a clear hierarchy. It's yeah. very much a level playing field situation that's emerging with the new paradigm. I mean, it's very paradoxical, just that, isn't it? I mean, I, I think I said off air to you earlier in this region here, where there is such a strong movement towards that green layer, that layer six, as we call it in Grazer's work here. Uh, many, many organisations on a community, uh, on a ground level basis, uh, to do with, you know, solar energy, uh, localization of food, um, activation, active against uh, Adani and uh, climate change, uh, many other different elements of, uh, of what people perceive to be a progressive way forward. Uh, there's so many groups sort of uh, everywhere, and in some ways uh, the tendency is to want to coordinate them all and bring them all together under something, but that's yeah. kind of an old frame, isn't it? So you're talking about really a kind of different way of seeing that playing field of different actors. Yeah, it is, it is an older frame, and, mm. and what we're looking at here is the emergence of a, of a collective intelligence. Yeah. Uh, that is that is not the intelligence of one or the other, but 
the mm. collective intelligence of the connected whole mm. uh, and and often that can seem really vague and amorphous but when it gets in sync you know when the timing is right it, it can be far more effective than the old paradigm mm. and, and we're seeing that emerging now and what's happening here in this local area is a microcosm of the macrocosm so the way that evolution unfolds is you get these small pockets of change where things are coming together in more complex ways and finding better ways of coping with life conditions. And they'll, they'll start as small bubbles and then over time the bubbles will grow and at a certain period halfway through the change it'll look like these bubbles are all isolated little things doing their you know business differently which is what you just described and then they'll reach a tipping point where suddenly things shift and everything mm. comes together and, mm. and you get a you know you get the, the collective network effect mm. or the entourage effect as they're calling it in the, yes. in the cannabis science which i think is a really lovely term it's a beautiful it's, term. It's something indeed that we can apply to a whole bunch of different aspects of and, you life. Know, and to me the entourage effect also uh, goes against for example one simple uh, simple example against the, the trend uh, in the previous uh, dying stage of our evolution the dying uh, um, uh, status quo of uh, of reductionism of taking everything apart of particularly for, say in agriculture of let's let's design and target specific genes in in uh, in, uh, in uh, genetic modification here let's just take a part of the plant out here we'll just use that plant we'll let go of and forget about these other constituents here and none of that really is going to work anymore is it it's a, it's actually a new way of thinking of science uh, and you, you brought up a word called consilience. This is to do with this a little bit, isn't it? This notion of consilience. Can you? Yeah, yeah. That a so um, there's a book on my bookshelf that I haven't read by a guy called Edward o. Wilson, and it's actually <laughs> that's called... the new way. You have a book on your bookshelf, but you don't have to read it. You just kind of no, no. You know, I, I I've scanned it and I looked at mm. I sort of looked at some of the key concepts just yeah. flicking through the book, and it's really talking about this entourage effect. It's talking about mm. uh, the the way that's that a whole bunch of small indicators can come together to. Do deliver uh, a fairly certain picture and yet if you take each one of the indicators it, it on its own does not actually you know deliver hard evidence about what's going on but collectively in this entourage effect then you can actually get a clear indication by looking at, at the, the broad picture and the collection of all the, mm. the little signposts. And this is true even in science, isn't it? Because one would think that science is a, as a specific. You make a hypothesis, a theory, you do some experimentation, you come up with a, an idea. But actually this, this idea of consilience applies to science that most established scientific knowledge is supported by convergence, as you're saying, of evidence. If not, the evidence is comparatively weak and there will not likely be a strong scientific consensus. I think that I found that really interesting. Different. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and in the, the scheme of the growing complexity over time, uh, you know, the, the modern scientific industrial way was more effective. It allowed us to cope better with complexity than mm. the previous paradigm, which is the authoritarian paradigm from the agricultural era. And uh, the same thing is happening again. So we've reached the limit of uh, the modern scientific industrial method where we isolate things and we look at things as in a specialist sense and we go very deep to understand the separate parts. But there reaches a point where that uh, delving into the, the detail of the separate parts uh, loses the bigger picture and and so that's when the tide turns and the shift begins to a more sophisticated more complex 
level of consciousness that can take a broader perspective. And so that's what's going on at the moment. And, mm. and this is cyclic. You know, there will come a time when, mm. through the new paradigm that's emerging now, the focus on the collective will start to degrade our capacity to know the individual aspects and we'll shift back again, you know, through this huge leap in consciousness into the second tier, which will take us into a, an integrated uh, perspective where we're starting to bring those two separate poles together in a very sophisticated way. Um, and and I, so I think um, one, of the, one of the little tricks that we can put in our bag of tricks at the moment is just this capacity to step back and look at multiple indicators rather than latching onto one single idea and thinking that we know for certain what's ahead through the fog when in fact we, we, we can't know for certain right at this time. Yeah. Yes, you are tuned to Future Sense here with uh, Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. It's 9.58. We're actually going to be uh, having the news at 10 o'clock. We didn't have it at 9 o'clock very shortly, so I'm just preparing that. But before we get there, a couple other things. I, I, interesting, you're talking about uh, the uh, endocannabinoid system in terms of the entourage effect, which we talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks, having been at the uh, the fabulous uh, medicinal cannabis symposium, both of us. But uh, a piece in, uh, just a little piece on, in Yahoo 7 News um, uh, today or the other day, um, coffee actually affects the same system in the brain as cannabis. Mm. In fact, uh, on the face of it, coffee doesn't have too much in common with cannabis, according to this one jolts you awake. The other is known as dope for a reason. <laughs> Uh, but the two substances actually affect the same neurotransmitters, according to a new study from Northwestern Medicine. The neurotransmitters related to the endocannabinoid system, the same ones that are affected by smoking cannabis, decreased after drinking four to eight cups of coffee in a day. That's quite a bit of coffee. That's the opposite of what happens when people use cannabis, but fascinating that it's actually the same system that uh, plugs into in both cases. That's, that's a bit of new information. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting about that is that if you think back to the, the old uh, rat race uh, you know, corporate world where everything was about pushing things harder and working harder and staying awake to do more work, for a longer period of time to be successful, then coffee was, uh, you know, the, the, a key substance then, a stimulant. And so now we're learning about this, how, how it acts in the cannabinoid system and the endocannabinoids, which are actually doing the opposite thing. It's like chill out, slow down. Uh, and you, we see the emergence socially of things like the slow food movement and yeah, good point, you know, the, good this uh, slow medicine cannabis has been called slow it's interesting medicine. what you're saying because it reminds me of uh, the book which I can't remember the title of by our friend uh, Scott Taylor who you yeah. also know years ago about dolphins and the like but one of his theories uh, or it's not just his was about uh, the enlightenment and the arrival in Europe of coffee of chocolate of tobacco of sugar Mm. And uh, a few other things, I think, yeah. and also whale whale oil. That was the point. Whale oil to light the can the candles. So suddenly, in the Enlightenment period, in the in the coffee houses of, of England and Europe, uh, people could stay up all night, drink their coffee and chocolate, smoke their cigarettes, and talk and think and have yeah. ideas. And so, this stimulation occurred in that era, which kind of his argument sort of brought about the Enlightenment. Yes. And now, in a, in, a, in a way, as you're saying, we, we're we're looking at a whole different set of um, substances or whatever you wanted to call them that actually enable a different kind of aspect of human consciousness to emerge. Yeah. Or what, reflects that at least. And what always fascinates me is is if you if you take a sort of a holographic effect and you look at these, you know, little 
insights into the science of, of uh, systems in the body and we look at the larger social patterns and how things are changing you can see similarities you know there's a there's a really yeah. constant theme there which is about collectivity it's about mm-hmm. understanding the action of, of the entourage you mm-hmm. know the, the the collective effect network effects and it's about slowing down uh, and uh, and you know stepping back from this mad rat race and, and bailing out reconnecting with the earth and grounding that's a real strong general theme mm-hmm. very good you're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. 1007 here on BayFM. You are tuned to Future Sense here with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Weather for the Northern Rivers, partly cloudy today. Slight chance of showers uh, in the south this evening. Uh, large and powerful surf conditions to be aware of today. Uh, hazardous along the coast for coastal activities. Temperatures 26 in Byron, Lismore, Ballina and Tweedheads. 27 in Grafton tomorrow. About the same temperature but showers coming back in. 90% chance of rain tomorrow. We mentioned the, the uh, group um, Yama who are coming to Australia and just checking out. They're actually doing an event here on the 12th, 13th and 14th of April. It's called uh, Celebrate Life and you can go to uh, the social media events pages and check that out or to uh, ticketbooth.com.au for tickets. Uh, it looks like a whole a whole program of everything just about. Um, workshops on um, uh, syntropic farming, which I've just had a good look at recently. Very interesting movement that. And, uh, what some, is that? Well, syntropic farming is, uh, there's a guy in Brazil whose name eludes me right now, I don't have it in front of me, I think it's Brazil, who's created a, 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 a methodology of farming which is similar to permaculture. Oh, this is the forest-based thing? Forest-based Yeah, okay, thing. I didn't know Fantastic. it by that name, but yeah, yeah. I've read about that. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. If yeah. you watch, the, there's a little video, 16-minute video, which you can get on permaculture. Uh, I'll try and find it again. I did have it up here before. Actually, I have it here right yeah. now, as a matter of fact. So there's another great example of the entourage effect. Uh, you know, instead of uh, monocropping, the you know planting a great diversity of plants in a forest environment, and That's they right. all thrive. Yeah, permaculturenews.org. You can see this video. It's about 16 minutes long. It's called Life in Syntropy, and it is about uh, this uh, this particular methodology, as Steve just saying, this uh, syntropic methodology of using everything that's there and essentially basically they just prune whether you're growing uh, vegetables or you're growing forest timbers you prune excessively and just let everything drop to the ground and eventually this creates its own microorgasmic mm. <laughs> organismic <laughs> yeah, uh, worm filled bio rich uh, biome in the soil which basically uh, creates um, amazing results it takes of course a few years to do that but once it happens Everything just burgeons, and it's it's, a, it's an amazing little, it's a very stimulating little documentary, yeah. and part of the future clearly of of uh, more localized, more natural, organic, and uh, and and total holistic farming very practices. Very interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's some good news, and I think we will sort of turn yeah. to uh, good news good now. News but before we do, I just want to summarise uh, what we've been talking about so far, and that is that uh, the strategy of the old paradigm in trying to hang on to power is. Um, taking its its efforts to the limit in terms of trying to spin the news, you know, mm. flood us with false information, distract us from what's really going on, maintain this barrier between what they're up to and what we can see. Um, but uh, just in the natural order of things, it's collapsing anyway because of the increasing visibility, um, the, the, the changing values of people inside some of these old paradigm organisations who are blowing the whistle and, and that mm. sort of stuff. But we are in for much more of this and there's going to be some I, I 
in predicting there's going to be some huge revelations in the next decade or so leading up to you know what, what could be a, a very significant tipping point across to mm. the dominance of the new paradigm around 2032. But mm. between now and then, there's going to be more collapse and we're going to discover hidden agendas that we just haven't been able to see yet. And you know there are, there are many, many that we could talk about off the cuff like the pharmaceutical industry for example and there's a there's a, a consistent theme which is driven by the values of the old paradigm which is about personal success it's about people wanting to succeed uh, and uh, usually that uh, involves amassing a large amount of money through business ventures uh, and uh, centralized business ventures at that and so we're already we're seeing the truth coming out around, uh, for example, Purdue Farmers. You know, he's in the news at the moment. Uh, yes, we, a couple we, of, uh, that's right, uh, just reaches a $270 million settlement over opioid crises. We weren't going to talk about opioids today, but we just mentioned it briefly because it is a big story. This is in the ABC a couple of days ago. It is, and it's a good example of, of a hidden agenda being uncovered mm. where, you know, they've, they've figured out, okay, we've got this pain-killing medication and it's actually addictive and we if we sell it then people are going to keep buying it which is you know the, the key strategy of the pharmaceutical industry is you don't want to cure people because if you cure them you lose a customer right and that cuts your income so if you can get just keep everybody on your pills and have to keep taking your pills then that's that's the best way to reach uh, ultimate success and that's a classic example of an old paradigm hidden strategy a hidden agenda uh, which really isn't uh, serving the greater good and there's going to be more of that you know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll see um, probably across all industries revelations like that coming out throughout the next decade or so. And, and some of it, I think, is going to be uh, shocking to, uh, to the general public. Um, and, it, you know, it's going to send shockwaves around the world that, oh, my God, look what's been happening. We didn't know about it. Well, of course, with those kind of examples of the pharmaceutical industry, which is uh, pretty obvious, and we like to have a go at them here for some good reason, because there are a lot of revelations coming out here. But on the other hand, you're going to have continually these reactions to this from these companies. So we've got, uh, and you may have seen in, in ABC News in the last couple of days, uh, yoga, naturopathy and Pilates are going to be hit as natural rem remedy rebates disappear. So if you are among the 80% of Australians using natural medicines and treatments such as naturopathy, yoga, Pilates, etc., to improve your health, prepare for a shock. From today, 16 natural therapies will no longer receive private health rebates, and the remove is supposedly designed to push down private health premiums. Yeah, yeah, sure. But expects, uh, experts admit it will have a minimal effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so this this is an interesting. I mean, we're going to get this too. Aren't we? We're going to get the revelations from the, the powers that be, from the big companies, the pharmaceuticals, all, all those sort of the, the bad boys and girls that we like to name in terms of uh, bad practice and so forth. But you're going to get the the reaction from the regulatory bodies, from government that actually is going against the trend. And the trend is towards natural therapies, and that's 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 part of the the movement, isn't it? And yet you it get is, this resistance. It is to again it. as they get more desperate, though their yep. values are actually regressing back to absolutistic values, and so their their capacity to um, craft uh, a very effective cover story for their hidden agenda is degrading into this black and white, you know, simple, well, this is what we're going to do. Um, and, and in doing so, it just becomes more and more obvious. So there, you know, the, and, and this is, 
this is the natural flow of evolution. I mean, it's 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 very um, uh, sort of uh, tempting to take sides and say good boys, bad boys, right? New paradigm, old paradigm. But in fact, it's just a natural evolutionary process. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we've all been there. We've all, you know, most of us who are old enough have lived through the old paradigm. We've had old paradigm paradigm values you know, previously in life, mm-hmm. and now you know we're shifting and changing, and and so is the the dominant global paradigm. Mm-hmm. And it's the natural order of things. And none of these paradigms are, in essence, good or bad. Um, that's simply a perspective, you know, that that is taken by somebody according to where they're sitting versus where the old paradigm sits. Um, and at the time that they emerged, every paradigm throughout history has been the perfect solution to our old problems. And every paradigm has solved the old problems, but then progressed to create new problems that can only be solved in turn by the next paradigm. Mm. And that is the natural order of things. Mm. And um, and it's in a way, you know, it's it's more supportive of the emerging paradigm to sort of sit back and not be too judgmental about it and accept that okay, this is just the way things are. Things are changing. It's a time to be coming together, to working together in community, rebuilding you know local mm. community and those sorts of things. Of course, that's going to be better. It's going to help us cope better with with life and changing life conditions. Very good. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Here's a joke. You've probably already seen this. Uh, How many Brexiteers does it take to change a light bulb? One to promise a brighter future and the rest to screw it up. (laughs) And... (laughs) I mean, let's let's take a look at a couple of these big issues at the moment. Brexit, uh, I mean, it's chaos there. And one of the things that really struck me over the weekend that I came across, and probably many of you did, ABC News reported, that Brexit negotiations have led some senior Conservative MPs, particularly one, to suggest a unity government with the Labour Party in order to solve and to approach the whole Brexit issue from both sides of politics. And I thought that was an extraordinary uh, I think moment, that is an extraordinary claim, yeah. yeah. I'd like to see that happen. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, neither May nor Jeremy Corbyn are in particularly good favour over there in England. And my uh, my, my girlfriend is, a, is an English woman. She takes a, a great deal of uh, of uh, time to look at the situation over there and has sort of thrown up her, uh, up, her, up her hands. And she says it's only for political British friends, people who are engaged politically over there, are actually talking about the overthrow of Parliament. And we started having a bit of a laugh over the weekend, laugh, if you will, about Guy Fawkes. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, the great film V for Vendetta, which you're probably are familiar with, uh, yes. which is based on on uh, the Guy Fawkes uh, whole thing. But what's going on with Brexit? Because this is this is a, as I think you've said at some at some point, Steve. Um, you know, the EU, the European Union, was an early attempt to move from the orange layer, layer five, as we call it, yep. to green, to six, and. Uh, and uh, to some degree, it's had some success, but clearly, it hasn't really worked in full. Yeah, an, an early attempt at collective government across nation states. Yeah. Uh, I think you know it started with all the best intentions, but uh, because it was an early experiment, it was still very much subject to the influence of the old paradigm. And uh, the nature of the old paradigm, in its drive for success, is to exploit whatever it can. You know, and, and in various ways. Um, Interested parties have, have exploited the, you know, the collective of the EU and wanted to make money out of it, and and uh, it's all become very complex. And there hasn't been sufficient sort of scaffolding in the EU structure to to hold it up. Uh, and uh, you know, and it seems to be in the, in the process of gradual collapse right now. Um, 
and in generally, uh, you know, the, if we look at the emerging paradigm and this idea of the entourage effect and, and network, network effects and those mm. sorts of things, it's not really suited to rigid structures. Mm. You know, it, it operates much better with freedom and, and without hierarchy. And, of course, EU, within the EU there, there was uh, hierarchy um, and hierarchical structures and some rigidity in terms of rule sets and those sorts of mm. things, whereas whereas the, the emerging paradigm works much more effectively if it's got freedom of action, if it doesn't feel like there's anybody particularly in charge. You know, groups can naturally come together that agree with each other about certain things and take collective action. Uh, and, um, and we're seeing seeing the emergence of this kind of thing in the cryptocurrency world where no one's really in charge of cryptocurrency. There's no hierarchy as, as such. It's just a whole bunch of people who are come to, coming together where their, their interests um, connect and, and working together to produce these quite sophisticated yeah. uh, blockchain-based systems which are solving many of the problems of the old paradigm. One particularly, uh, one, one is the, the issue of trust. Right? Um, which is you know, so so they're being constructed in such a way that you they they automatically work in a reliable way and they uh, at this stage anyway don't seem to be corruptible. Um, I mean, this is a very uncomfortable position though for most people, isn't it? This notion of of no leadership in a sense of of no hierarchy of not being told or led. You know, I'm thinking about the the, the, mis, the mistrust in things like cryptocurrency by the, the bulk of the world's population still, even though it's you know it's slowly moving into a, a, a maturity of some sort for sure. Yeah, and I, I think you know this is something you know it's such a complex situation that we're talking about here: global change and the dynamics at play. And, and something that's often lost in the conversation is the fact that uh, humanity is still spread right almost right across the spectrum of value sets, and so we've still got many many people in the world operating from older value sets. And uh, that, that circumstance arises from the complexity of their life conditions. So whatever their life conditions demand in terms of the complexity of their perspective on life and, and their way of operating, uh, you know, that, that is what gives rise to the, the dominant worldview in each particular area around the world. And, and many, many people, uh, you know, I often sort of uh, compare it to like a conga line. And, and while there are, you know, people up the front of the conga line who are pushing into new paradigms, even beyond the, the global emerging paradigm, um, you know, there are a whole bunch of people in the middle there who are still living life in relatively less complex uh, sets of life conditions. And so they're still coping okay with um, some of the value sets that emerged much earlier in, mm. in human history. Uh, and to them, of course, you know, each of each value set has its own particular perspective on what's happening right now. And as you just said, um, you, know, you know, a lot of people will look at these new emerging systems and say, "Whoa, I don't know if I'm, I don't know about that. Yeah. It's not the way we used to do things, you know, around here." Um, and so, uh, while folks whose value, whose life conditions have brought them into this new paradigm early, ahead of the the main body, you know, of humanity might be quite comfortable with these new complex systems that are much vaguer than yeah. our clear-cut hierarchies and you know we know who's in charge and we just wait to get the order from them and we do and you know yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah it's it's a it's very very hard and and this is this complexity and this growing complexity and the fact that we're seeing the emergence of one extra way completely different way of being human that's being added to all the previous ways of being human which are mostly still around except arguably for the hunter-gatherer mm. lifestyle everything else is still around still a lot of people living in traditional tribal ways mm. in various places around the world still a lot of people living in countries where power is king you mm. know and uh you, you've got a it, basically the world's a jungle you've got to fight to survive 
still a lot of people living in authoritarian regimes religious uh, religiously uh, dominated uh, regimes absolutely yeah. and and many many people living uh, in the modern scientific industrial paradigm and all of it is shifting so the, the conga line is progressing so there are lots and lots of paradigm shifts going on at the same time and part of the reason why I don't talk about this too much on this show. Is it's too damn confusing, right? <laughs> uh, but you it's, know. it's self-empowering. As you're speaking, I'm thinking like, well, the opportunity here is for self-empowerment. Yes. The opportunity is for an individual to go, well, how do I make sense of it for me in this? How do I sit into this complexity? Exactly. And how do I allow myself to be open to a different way to approach what is actually happening in the world, what is happening to me, what is in my reality? and. Uh, whether or not one thinks that certain powers outside have that much power over you, because that's what they claim, mm. or, or whether you can actually go, well, there's power there, and I don't trust that power, and I have a certain feeling and understanding in myself. I'm investigating, I'm curious about my life, I'm curious about what's going on in my reality. How do I make sense of all of this? How do I find a, a pathway that works for me, that is actually true for me? Yeah, exactly. And from a, tekken, a second tier perspective, you know, there's there are fractal aspects of all of this change so if we talk about the whole world as being this um, collective conga line you know within each one of us as individuals we have different aspects of our personality which sit in different value sets and and we most often notice this when we change our life conditions so we might go to work you know for example if you work in a corporate office then it's very corporate and you know there's a hierarchy and there are there are different ways of doing things and then you go home to a different set of life conditions and you ought not operate the same way and for most people it's a natural adjustment that they make and they don't even notice that they're adjusting their value sets and their motivations and it's a really important and, point and, and behavior yeah. so so within each one of yeah. us we have this collection and uh, as we know the the value sets are nested inside each other mm -hmm. so as we grow through and and uh, grow into more complex values we still have all those other sets inside us and we shift and change mm. in day-to-day -day life as our life conditions demand mm. uh, so it's not you know in a way each one of us is a microcosm of the entire world and each one of us is also going through this value shift internally uh, and and many of us you know in the midst of the external change are also struggling with our own internal change and coming to grips with different aspects of ourselves that might be conflicting mm. yeah. And of course, as we look out to the politics of the world, it's very confusing when we're seeing um, people in other places, uh, in different uh, different uh, places within themselves. And I'm thinking now of China. Um, many of us, uh, well, you know, the, the the paradox of China exists for sure. And let's take a, a, an example. Um, you know, we sell a huge amount of coal to China. Coal is being burnt in China a lot, for example, and it would seem to be very important to our economy, so we are told that we sell coal to China, not just coal, but that's one of the things. And we sort of demonise China at times, some of us, for how dirty China is, and certainly a, a city like Beijing, I haven't been there myself, but one of the most polluted cities in the world. At the same time, on the other hand, China is making some, uh, some pretty strident uh, um, uh, steps into uh, a greener future, and uh, an interesting piece in The Guardian just a couple of days ago in uh, the, the city of Shenzhen, for example, all 16,000 buses in this fast-growing Chinese megacity called Shenzhen are now electric. And soon all 22,000 taxis in the same city will be electric. So I wonder about the change there because clearly they're coming from an authoritarian regime. They still are authoritarian. They're moving into uh, into um, into layer five, into orange, into into uh, 
sort of socialist capitalism, if you will, whatever you want to call it. And at the same time, they are in some ways ahead of the game in terms of uh, of the green uh, emerging economy, emerging um, level layer. Yeah. Now, it's um, there's lots of complexity to unpack yeah. there. I mean, China has been through a, a Republican phase, which, which is a you know it's a scientific industrial uh, kind of a, a situation. Uh, from in the early 1900s, they you know they, they the shifted revolution. to that, and, and up until the communist revolution, which yeah. took them back into the authoritarian kind of a setup. Mm. So, um, right there, you've got you know early waves of change which have been uh, repressed by or suppressed by uh, the emergence of older values again. And as a very very rough generalization, it seems that the Eastern world, Eastern countries, have a uh, tendency to uh, hang on to communal values yeah. more than individual values and the opposite is true for the west it seems yes. it, 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 certainly in recent history that's been the case mm. and so what we're seeing now it appears is that the the west and particularly the usa has been globally dominant with individually oriented values from the scientific industrial paradigm and now that's collapsing and we're seeing china rise up um and uh, fr- but but some of the the uh, there's a lot of complexity in the in which values are driving what they're doing and what they're actually doing and and there are questions to be asked around okay we see them increasing the use of electric buses but is that because it's coming from a new paradigm value set or is it simply because it's coming from a, a an efficiency success based Mm. Uh, layer five value mm. set, which sees this is the most efficient way of dealing with the pollution problem, right? And, and that's that sort of points out the precarious nature of trying to put human values onto material things because you actually can't do that. Although we do, people do it all the time. Mm. People say, you know, this is bad, that's bad, drugs are bad. But in fact, these things have no moral aspect to them whatsoever. Mm. The morality mm. arises from the human employment of them as mm. tools or, or, you know, for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, but it, but we do this all the time. It, you know, it's part of human nature. And obviously, it's also tied to certain value sets, you know, this, this wanting to put our own moral values onto material things and say, this is good, that's bad. Mm. Yes. So in unpacking the situation in China, which is quite complex, just because we're seeing the emergence of electric vehicles doesn't necessarily indicate the rise of dominance of a new paradigm set. I mean, if, if we look at China, it's still very much controlled by uh, an authoritarian regime, which is linked to the, the layer four you know, agricultural era values. And we, we see from the history that they moved beyond that early in the 1900s, but then they fell back into it again with the, the um, communist revolution mm. and so what we with the you know change being what it is and knowing the the, the trajectories of, of change we can say that okay well the next evolutionary step for them would be for the communist government to give way to a republican style uh, rule which is going to free up the you know the, the free enterprise nature which is we see growing in china and uh, many of the predictions are saying that, okay, China's going to rise up and it's going to be the next global power. I think Martin Armstrong predicts that by 2030, 2032, doesn't he himself? That, yeah, yeah, that's right. Again, this, this figure of 2032 mm. emerging is yeah. a, a significant time for change. But within that, you know, it's, it's not, even though we can look at these large-scale patterns and we can put labels on them, it's not true to say, for example, that America is all modern scientific industrial and its values. It's not. 
you know, these value sets are always layered. And so there's a very huge part of America which still sticks to the absolutistic, you know, religious style values and the previous value sets also. So um, while it's essential to kind of simplify things to explore these ideas of human value sets and how they impact our behavior and how they, you know, dominate what's going on, um, in the simplification, we have to always remember that it is a simplification. In fact, the, if we want to dig down deep, the actual real circumstances are much more complex and they're nested layers upon layers upon layers of different values which are all interacting to provide an entourage effect. Mm. And so that uh, starting to understand that entourage effect and how all these different things work together to produce a certain outcome is part of our movement into this new emerging paradigm of, of, of having a more complex understanding which is going to mm. help us cope better with life. You also feel, though, that China is going to be under a lot of ecological pressure uh, because of its situation of how it's built itself and just the, the movement of the world, let alone whatever is going to happen with the climate, but just the, the very fact of uh, this sort of development through the that layer five, the orange layer, yeah. um, is going to see uh, green uh, emerge quicker in order to, because they can't afford really to have the huge amount of ecological pressures that uh, the West in building our societies has, has used up, the resources and the like. Yeah, I think that's quite possible. Mm. And if, if this uh, seeming tendency of the East to favour communal systems and the West to favour individual systems, if that's accurate, then what it can mean is that the, the Eastern countries might move more quickly through the individually oriented value sets or paradigms, whereas the opposite applies in the West. You know, the West would, would most likely tend to hang on to the individually oriented paradigms longer and then move through the communal ones more, more quickly. So uh, what may happen with China, and this is just pure speculation, mm. is that China may move quite quickly through Sorry quickly through, uh, <laughs> I knew there was something going on there. China might uh, <laughs> move might quick quite quickly through an enterprising republican phase and into you know a, a communal layer six uh, network centric humanistic paradigm more quickly than we expect. Yeah. Mm. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Tune to Future Sense here, 999. It's 10.44. Coming up at 11 o'clock, it's Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond and the team. Um, yeah, thanks for your texts. A few texts here. I'll just mention a couple of them. Um, someone said, regards the uh, the electric buses in China, wouldn't it be coal-fired stations that would produce the electricity to charge the buses in China? Probably true, but at least they're not emitting further um, crap out of their exhaust power pipes. I, I did that. see a photograph recently of a very large solar farm in China which had been constructed in the shape of a panda bear. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I believe it's it. true. Of course. Another, uh, another text uh, from uh, Peter, Peter Morgan. Fractal, fractally speaking, there will be much collapse at the local level. Greed, selfishness, individualism in Byron Shire is also necessarily unsustainable. Thanks, guys. All the best. 
Yes, well, nothing's going to escape uh, the changes that need to happen, that's for sure. And we, we're certainly seeing, uh, you know, uh, I think a, a bit of a retreat into individual uh, opinions and positions uh, in, in this shire as well, politically yeah. and other things. And that's naturally a part of the trend, it's isn't it? It's part of the regression. I part mean, of the regression. You know, considering uh, this area, like a number of areas around the world, has been a, an early adopter of the new paradigm communal values. Mm. Yeah, so during the, the pressure of change, we ought to see a regression into individualistic thinking, yeah. Let's look at some of the uh, positive uh, approaches. Yeah, so getting back to this this analogy of being in the fog of change, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really directing us to look closer to ourselves, and so this is a very strong theme of the emerging paradigm: is uh, thinking closer to home and acting closer to home, and bearing in mind that these little pockets of change, you know, uh, crop up as individual bubbles around you know, the whole world and they grow and they grow and they grow to the point where the bubbles start to form together and you get a you get a, the entourage effect. And so by working close to home and working on progressive change close to home, we're contributing to that global growth of the bubbles and the eventual emergence of the, the network effect mm. and that coherence that, that will come from that, which will eventually tip the scales globally and you know we'll see this uh, communal way of being human the new communal way of being human as, as the new mm. global paradigm eventually but we've got some ways to go yet uh, you know if, if uh, the, the signpost that we've been talking about this morning are correct then it could be 2032 before we see a really significant global shift mm. or a coherence of these emerging groups a lot of breakdown to occur first yeah I'm yeah. thinking just as you mentioned the entourage effect and we really want to emphasize this it's a, such a beautiful concept and it's very obvious to most of us and yet it does speak a lot about how we're going to how we are moving in the future and I'm thinking even of things like the farmers markets local farmers markets which are a sort of entourage effect in themselves the way that people tend to grow local food come together in markets so yes. that the whole system in itself of a farmers market is a, is an entourage effect in in and of itself yeah yeah, yeah. So I guess the good news is that uh, as the the old paradigm is collapsing and we're seeing all of our social institutions fall apart, at the same time, uh, the new paradigm is rising, and it's it's got to the point where uh, it's you know it's always important for people to be operating in all domains in terms of trying to bring change, and I, I wouldn't discourage people from trying to to tweak the the old paradigm systems that we have and make them more user friendly. Uh, and and more communally oriented there's nothing wrong with that at all Um, but the the opportunity also exists now for us to think locally and to focus on building new paradigm systems in our local towns rebuilding the village i think that's a a very very strong concept at the moment reoccupying the the local villages and uh, improving local resourcing Mm. and we will see and there's already a a strong emerging theme of relocalization of everything according Mm. to the new paradigm and and people want that you know people want to know that their food was was grown under the right circumstances and it's not contaminated with pesticides and and those sorts of things and one of the best ways to know that is to know the local people who grow your food locally and and to get your uh, your organic food locally and those sorts of things and and so I'd encourage people not to to get distracted by the the wider chaos which is being portrayed uh, sometimes accurately, sometimes quite uh, inaccurately in the media. Uh, and uh, think closer to home and act closer to home and start building this new world, you know, in in your local area. And if everybody does that, and everybody will be naturally drawn to do it eventually anyway, as they they change personally then it's going to add to this collective effect globally. We're going to see uh, big turning points where things really shift in significant ways. Mm. 
Um, thanks for your input here. A couple of little things have come in. And I heard this on the news this morning too in terms of some of the changes that uh, are necessary. And, you know, uh, we're not talking specifically about climate change today, but I, I think it's interesting that Labor is going to ban the use of Kyoto credits to meet Australia's Paris climate commitments in a key decision that opens up a gulf between Scott Morrison and opposition leader Bill Shorten on the environment just weeks out from the federal election. That's a rather interesting one, that one. Um, it is a kind of reconfiguration, a bit more a bit more honesty in that particular equation, whether we agree with the, the direction it's going in. But I, I can feel a, a sort of uh, a tendency, I think, in the in the in the Labor left in this country, and, and generally speaking, on the left, to start becoming a little bit more honest and uh, a little bit more authentic and have a bit more integrity within their own structure themselves, whether or not their policies are right or not, that's another question. But to actually say, well, no, we're not going to do this. That's an easy way out. Let's let's take a, a slightly harder route. Yeah. And I, I think that's a kind of key a key moment going on right now. Um, it is. And, uh, you know, as I've been saying, we, we ought to expect uh, the... Uh, uncovering of you know further hidden agendas in all aspects of life and all our social systems mm-hmm. and, and uh, the, the whole climate discussion uh, I, I think is simply another example of that and I think there are going to be revelations in years to come um, you know which will reveal that what we're being fed about climate change and climate trends and those sorts of things and, and the science around them is not exactly as it seems and mm-hmm. there are hidden agendas at work there also. Yes indeed. Um, another piece has just come in. Thanks, thanks for our, our good friend and uh, compatriot, and in fact, uh, on the team, absolutely, Professor Ross Hill down there in Melbourne, because he's uh, sent us also a piece today, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about, or is it? Um, a Russian uh, TU 154M-ON, that's the NATO reporting name, uh, reconnaissance plane has conducted a surveillance flight over US military facilities located on the west coast of the country and actually have flown over... Um, the famous Area 51, a Russian uh, reconnaissance flight. What are they looking for there? Are we going to see revelations regarding... Let's go out on a limb just for the last couple of minutes. Are we going to see revelations about UFOs? Is that How do you feel about that? What do you reckon? Because it's an area where so many people are like uh, attached to, uh, hoping that we're going to be saved from, and so on and so on. Or are we ready for them anyway? I don't think we're ready for them. I don't think you want to know what I really think. <laughs> I'm not sure we're ready for that. But, okay. but yes, I, I would I would say certainly yes. Um, you know, in my uh, travels as a futurist around mm. the world, mm. uh, I've, I've met people that I know and trust who have um, inside perspectives on uh, U.S. government programs that aren't you know public knowledge and those sorts of things. And uh, I, I think there's a lot to come out around that. Um, I, I do think that uh, I, I'm a true believer in the existence of uh, life beyond planet Earth, mm. and uh, I, I think their presence is closer than uh, many people suspect. Mm. You know, and I, and I do also think that uh, generally, planet Earth is a, a very early stage civilization in comparison to what else is out there uh, in the in the big uh, universal multiple universes hard not to have a large degree of hubris if we simply don't know about the existence of other um, species out there Certainly if, Look, we're, if we're the only thing here we're pretty damn good aren't we look at us if you've seen ha, ha. you know see some of the some of the images that are coming in you know from from hubble and other sophisticated cameras that we have pointing mm. to the sky at the moment and the sheer number of galaxies 
and the number of planets that must be in those galaxies mean that mathematically, you know, if you want to be, be just a, like a strict materialist or reductionist here and talk about mathematics, the mathematic probability of there not being life out there is astronomical. Yeah. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just simply statistically unbelievable that we're the only uh, life forms here. And human nature is such that we will project our own nature onto what we think is out there and so th this is why we read so much about scary ets and you know they're this and that and the other but if you actually look at the descriptions what they're really describing is human nature not, yeah. you know, not other nature i wanted to point out on that subject about uh, outside of our own solar system and beyond there's a lovely uh, netflix program you might have come across i mentioned to you steve uh, called one strange rock which means the Earth. Yeah, I just watched the first episode of that recently. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Some it is good great. stuff in it. Really, really yeah, good. Yeah, Will yeah. Smith is the host in it, but it, it features eight astronauts who spent like over a thousand days in total between them uh, out in space uh, on space stations or in uh, in rockets themselves, and uh, looking at uh, well at the whole history of of the planet uh, geologically, socially, everything really, and and its place in the in the solar system, its place in the cosmos. So it has a nice sort of philosophical dash, slightly spiritual aspect to it, but it's very very scientific as well it is and it's, really is looking at the big perspectives the big cycles which i think is really important that we start to look at those bigger perspectives now as much as we can absolutely you know and i've, I've got a, a keen interest in uh in the sort of movie making industry uh largely because of my good friendship with uh, our texan elf mitch schultz texan elf he'll be and, here soon and uh, he will be he's coming to visit mm. yeah and um you know I, I think they've done some wonderful production work in that series switching from the macro to the micro yes you know the, the big off-planet pictures of Earth, and then they'll switch to some tiny plant busting out of the soil. Very, very good. Yeah, very very mi mind-expanding. Um, any last words? We've got to finish up now. Time is up. Take is care, it? folks. Take care. Beautiful. And, uh, we'll be back next week. And don't forget, you can check out uh, the podcast of this show on your favorite platform, particularly on iTunes. You can check us out on Twitter at Future, Future, I always forget to, can't say it, Future Sense Show, at Future Sense Show, and that will uh, let you know when the podcasts are available, usually two or three days after the show here, and uh, edit it up, and uh, we do take out the music and all the announcements and so forth, so you get the, the raw That's right. conversations. And, uh, before you tune in again, check out the Entourage Effect. Take that for a test drive, see what you think. Good idea. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, Next thanks, week. Nick. Bye. Yeah. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.